Greetings. I'm Josh Tyson, co-author of the first best-selling book about conversational AI, Age of Invisible Machines. The book explores the learnings of 20-year conversational AI veteran and OneReach.ai CEO Rob Wilson. Each week, Rob and I bring in a guest to continue the conversation we started in the pages of our book. This week on the Invisible Machines podcast, we're talking about decision management in the age of conversational AI and how communication channels like Slack hold the keys to our future interactions with technology. We're talking about Slack's design response to the challenge of equipping workers to start their days with the information they need. We're talking about how generative AI's ability to provide uncannily effective summaries of unstructured data poses a massive design challenge. And we're talking about what it might look like when machines are speaking to other machines using human language rather than code. Our guest this week is RJ Owen, the principal product designer at Slack. Previously, RJ was the principal UX designer for Salesforce, but his journey with technology began as a software engineer and architect. RJ actually transitioned toward design while working for Effective UI, the experience design agency Rob founded close to 20 years ago. In some ways, this episode documents a rare moment with two fabled UX unicorns, as Rob also has design chops to match his technical abilities. So enjoy a reunion of two captivating and brilliant beasts in our conversation with RJ Owen. All right, well, RJ, thanks so much for joining us. We are, we are very excited for this conversation. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, and Rob, a pleasure is always seeing you. Yes, yes. Indeed. Uh, so, RJ, one of the things that we've been talking a fair amount about on this podcast is about how we kind of think we spend a lot of time getting work done, but how a lot of our time is actually spent doing little in-between tasks like scheduling appointments. Uh, and as collaboration platforms are starting to use AI to take on some of these in-between tasks, like what are some of the, the broader design opportunities you see kind of redefine productivity and perhaps uh, improve the quality of, of what we're thinking of as work? I noticed that uh, a couple of weeks ago, right, you had Paul English talking about thin UI. Ah, yes. That, yeah, that really caught my eye because we talk about thin UI or thin experiences all the time at Slack as being really good opportunities to like take a little a little piece or a slice of some other workflow and embed it into your conversation or or the normal like collaboration work you're doing in Slack since people are already currently spending a lot of time there. Um, so that caught my attention. And it sounds like that's what you're asking about is that there's a lot of these like overhead or thin tasks that people have to do during their day and what are the opportunities to to kind of carve those things off and move them around yeah and i guess i guess to our mind like doing that um a lot within an organization starts to kind of change the nature of the organization and of the work that that's being done and of kind of the relationships between humans uh within the organization as well um, yeah. How does it, yeah, tell it, well, I don't, <laughs> you're asking me a question, Josh, but I want to ask you, like, what do you, what do you mean yeah. by changes the relationships between the humans? You know, if we're all scheduling well, faster, as an example. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of the times we're communicating asynchronously um, and kind of across different channels. But if, if AI starts to emerge as a force that kind of has an organizational AGI almost, like where it, it starts to kind of know 
what's going on within teams and within or in organizations to a point where it, it can become this powerful, powerful ally to teams to where it's providing humans uh, with really great information yeah. uh, with which to make better decisions. And then the fact that it's also stripping out kind of those in-between tasks means that people like have more time where they're not necessarily yeah. tethered to screens or their desktops and can then start to kind of collaborate uh, it, almost in ancient ways, right? Like around a campfire almost. Like people could actually be talking and then the conversational AI element is there to enhance the experience and the work that's hopefully being collaborated on. I don't know. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I guess maybe this is a little bit contrary to the campfire idea, but um, I think that a lot of the time we see when a new technology shows up, there's all this promise about how it's going to like help everybody have a four hour work day or make it so that people only have to work two days a week or some something like that. And then that never pans out, right? Everybody works just as much and is just as frantic or more stressed or whatever. Yeah, I was just um, having a conversation with a company that that's going to roll out like one of the solutions out there, like the GPT solutions, you know, to all of their employees. Um, it's not going to be hard to figure out likely what I'm talking about. Um, and And they were like, kind of trying to anticipate you know what kind of productivity gains and you know the ROI on paying for a license for each person um and how should they measure it and things like that um and you know my comment to them was you're probably not going to see almost any productivity gains whatsoever um you're probably not going to lose a single position or probably see anything and measuring it's going to be extremely difficult yeah. um uh because they're already those who could benefit from it are already using it right they're already they already are on chat gpt they're mm -hmm. already doing like we're as human beings you know very calorically conservative so you know most people if they see a way to get their job done faster they're not they didn't wait for you yeah right they're they're already doing it um yeah and so you're gonna you know you're you're probably not going to see a, a big difference and but what strikes me as most interesting about that is that they didn't notice the difference today right that yeah yeah, yeah, that yeah. you already have their bottom it. line or their top line they haven't reduced headcount they haven't you know, consolidated jobs. Like there's all of this talk that, you know, this is going to be radical and, and change everything. Um, and here they are essentially almost not noticing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting because if you sit back and you go, well, you know, what, what do most people use it for? It's writing and, and, you know, most of us, that's not our job to write things. So if you can automatically write professionally, that's awesome. But, but if that's not your job, then if you're a carpenter, then you didn't <laughs> save any time. Yeah. Um, and, and then summarization. So reading, you know, it can help us read, but those who do a lot of reading tend to read fast anyway. And the time it takes to like, 
grab an article, summarize it, read the summary, and then the trust that you have, that it gleaned what you needed out of it. We're so used to reading the most of us habitually are just going to keep speed reading the way we already have, scanning, yeah. doing our thing. Um, and then writing code, I think it kind of falls in that same category. Like, yep, it's we were already, though, searching Google for code snippets, copying and pasting those snippets. So now those snippets are being searched in other ways. Um, but what's interesting, and I know you can relate to this, I think every developer can, you copy the snippet because you're in a hurry, you paste it, it doesn't work, and you realize you copied the part where he said, um, <laughs> I can't get this working. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Can anyone figure out what I'm doing wrong? And you're like, <laughs> yep. oh yeah, I guess I should have, you know, gone and looked like further in the thread to see the the actual like list of five different ways that people corrected it, and and then choose one of those. Um, and but if but if I have an LLM write my code, um, and I I have to now ensure myself that it's correct. Yeah. Um, and so it's it, it's it's helpful and it's useful and it. It's it's a it's a bump, but um, the idea that this is gonna sort of have some sort of eighty percent improvement over efficiency seems far fetched to me. But yeah. where I totally see the opportunity is in what we're talking about, which is you know so much of our day is pogo sticking between apps um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. our workflows in general. Um, many people, their jobs and job security and value is based on like knowing how to use an app yeah. and how to be proficient in an app. And with messaging and conversation as like a navigation structure to facilitate that pogo sticking for you, take you to the places that you want and then micro UIs that simplify the tasks that you're going to do. Like we get to hide all that software that we don't typically use because we don't know how to use it or we forget where it is. Um, and it sort of like brings it to the forefront. So it feels like writing, you know, that's not the big opportunity. Reading is not the big opportunity, but something that's been in Slack and, and these tools for a while, which is the ability to generate micro UIs, yeah. create software that m- matches our workflows versus you know, having to like navigate all of these different apps. Um, and, and so like embedding workflows into conversation and into these apps and, and not just that, but also like so much of our work in the future feels like we filled the gaps of productivity in our workflow with software. So we do this, we do that. We talk to this person, then we go to this app. Then we pull this data from that app and put it in this app, and then we send an email, and then we get the email back. And um, and so you could sort of say that software, in a way, fills the gaps of our workflow. You know, these little software apps are like woven throughout our workflow, and they fill these gaps to help uh, make our workflow more productive and efficient. But now we might like be flipping that over and we go on to our messaging app to talk to machines as much as we talk to humans, maybe even more mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. we talk to humans. Um, and and that maybe we become 
the element for just decision-making, moderation, and things like that, where we fill the yeah. gaps for the machines that are going to be doing the workflow. So we're just sort of almost deciders. I saw something you guys were releasing on Slack, a, a swipe left or swipe right kind mm, of yeah, concept. Yeah, on It hit me when I saw that. Like, that's the kind of efficient decision-making that if you had a ton of machines doing work and and they all just needed to confirm things with you because that's what it should look like, that you're almost mm-hmm. like a day in the future might just be you sitting there swiping left and right and left and right and just, yes, no, like, yes, should I do this? Yes, should I send no. this? Should I do this? Should I do that? And you're yeah. like, yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no. <laughs> and that, that becomes yeah. a lot about what work looks like is like, is like just rapid decision-making and, and, and we're all like Obama's in the sense that we, we like have our blue suits and our gray suits so that we do, we're like, Trying to yeah. make our decision making more efficient, and oh, I don't want to waste my cognitive right. energy on on a decision of what to wear today, um, yeah. because I'm gonna like literally be eaten alive with decisions all day long until I'm like brain dead at the end of the day. I don't know. Um, yeah. How how far are people in this journey in general with messaging? Like, is this are people anywhere close to this are there companies anywhere close to like really moving their workflows on to messaging or is that still like way ahead of us um i don't know you tell me you talk (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man you you brought up so many really interesting things there i think one of the things that you said at the beginning that makes it a little bit hard to assess in our current moment uh who's doing it well or how well companies are doing it is just um, sort of a, at what you were getting at around measurement. If we were one of the one of the reasons why we can't measure it is because it, the impact of AI or any new technology is usually not an immediate top line, bottom line, whatever gain, because you don't know what to measure beyond that because you don't know what the impact of the thing is yet. If you knew what to measure, you would know the impact that it's having, and so you would know where to look. Right. Right. You can't measure right. it because you don't know what it's doing. And then on top of that, even though AI is changing constantly and, you know, it's accelerating so fast and it can do so many things, many people, most consumers, I would say, are still just playing with it and trying to figure out what can I do with this? How can I weave it into my workflows? And so there's there's almost this period where with any new technology, people lose a little productivity because they're trying to see like, where can I use this? They're experimenting and experimentation is wasteful, even when it's something as, as efficient and, you know, powerful as AI experimentation is wasteful. So you won't see the impacts of it until it becomes a little more formalized and a little more ironed out in terms of how people use it. And even like, you know, Companies are scrambling to find the right way to to put it in. And Slack has some really obvious use cases that as we roll them out in the near future here, I think people will see huge productivity gains. And one of them is one of the biggest problems in Slack is figuring out how to start your day because you you log into Slack. All this stuff happened while you were out overnight, whatever. And so your sidebar is just like lit up like a Christmas tree. And we've done some things recently to try to make consolidated views for you or or something like that. But at the end of the day, we don't know how to prioritize what's most important to you or what's what's like a generalization of what happened for you. 
And so yeah. AI can do that brilliantly. Yeah. It can say, here's a summary. Here's what we think you need to know. And then beyond that, here's a bunch of swipe left and right. Do you, can you dismiss this message or do you need to act on it later? Yeah. We'll help you yeah. go through the queue and then make a pile of work for yourself to do that day. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, whenever I look at those UX problems of like, oh, I, you know, that Christmas tree, I can relate to that. That's every morning for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's the new newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, so, but whenever I look at those problems and, and I don't disagree at all, that's a challenge for everybody. Where do I start? Yeah. Information overload. Um, and then, you know, asking a machine to prioritize it for me makes sense, except at the point where I get the question I would ask is, does the end user even know where, like, it, is it really just that they can't see it? And if they could see it, they would know where to start. Or is it really that they start their day with no idea how they should be starting their day? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that, like, it's kind of like a journey, you know, it. There is no right answer to where to start. And so it's going to be really hard to say, like, here's where you should start. Um, yeah. And what they're really seeing is, like, the grocery store of options of where to start their day, that Christmas tree. And I think what you're talking about is, like, people get stressed by options. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And there's something about, like, going into a grocery store and seeing fewer options that stress us out less. Yeah. And that's yeah. really nice. The The question is, in a productivity-driven situation, though, is it is it just making you feel better? Or, like, or, like in other words, it, or is that kind of a necessary thing for you to figure out? Like, is that, yes, it's cognitively painful to see all of that, right? Um, yeah. And, and I could see how they were like, oh, my God, this is, like, work. It's, it, to me, but it, and I'm just, proposing this throwing it out there I don't know yeah what I'm talking about but it it's almost like a, a you know maybe seeing a, a pile of bricks that you got to move from one place to another and being like oh my god you know look at all these bricks yeah um, can you can you hide them so I just don't feel like there's so many bricks <laughs> that I need yeah. to move and the question is yeah. well yeah but that doesn't answer the question of whether you do need to move all of those bricks or not. Right. Because um, if I hide half of the bricks and you only move half of the bricks, then you didn't complete the job. And yeah. So I, I, I've heard this a lot on Slack. Um, and, and I find that I could put people into two camps. Those like me who are just absolute data crazy. So I clean that Christmas tree every day. Mm -hmm. Like every day I go, there's nothing white when I go to bed. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> and and I'm also, I know what the nothing details. Nothing unread, right? That's what you what? mean by white? Like the unread Yes, channels? unread, yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, it's the, yeah, Christmas, no <laughs> lights are on. I turn the Christmas tree off at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and. And I scan stuff really fast. I can quickly decide, um, but I feel like I, I know a lot of the details that are going on, It what's important. Um, and and it, it stresses me out to not have the details. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I can see that other people, it really stresses out. Uh, um, 
because they feel this compulsion to absorb all that cognitively and they're like that's just too much yeah for me to absorb um and yeah so i i i i've i've kind of tossed this one around a lot as to how to solve that problem um and i i definitely can 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 see that just for some people hiding stuff like that it's sort of like the spam filter problem hiding emails that you don't want um hiding messages that you don't want in slack really hard because you've essentially invited everybody in to that room right there there are no yeah. like strangers um, yeah and 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 then without the full context of your life your day your schedule and everything else it seems super hard but uh, one area i think um is those basic things like time of course that's that's always a good one right like we do tend to say more recent things are mm-hmm. probably things that like everybody organizes yeah. by time your emails yeah. by time that's always one that's good but um yeah i just i, I, I what, what am i trying to say i'm blabbering on because i feel like we're all entering a time of um going from like coal mines and like physical load to cognitive load are we just gonna yeah. exhaust ourselves with decisions like should yeah. you do this and should i do this and hey you know i, I want to eat a donut okay well my two you know um medical advisor ais are arguing about whether sure. it's okay i eat a donut or not and <laughs> you know if that's fine then i'm gonna have to go to the gym in an hour and you know hell i'll get you scheduled to do you want to go to the gym just i just uh-huh. i just can imagine that my christmas tree that's limited by the number of employees is now going to light up because there's going to be like 50 machines in there that want to get my yeah. attention and want to yeah, ask you me have questions a bunch of ai and monkeys generation on your back. swipe that's yeah all and and like swiping yeah. is going to be my life um mm-hmm. and yeah. i or 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 am i wrong and like i'm going to defer a lot of these decisions because i'm so lazy cognitively as everyone else is right and ai i'm like that's how ai is going to kind of take over is in yeah. a sense is that yeah. i just like get tired of making these so i just start deferring to it you know your point is trying to have machines bubble up what matters is probably the biggest question of ai right now like if if mm-hmm. we can pull that off right that's it's sort of the beginning of maybe a long long behavior pattern of what decisions can we let ai make so we're not in that cognitive like prison or or work camp right and um yeah or and which ones do we have to make and how do we how do we create those algorithms that decide because in my opinion you're you're trying to figure out what messages i should care about um and i'm thinking to myself what's the difference like what's the content of those messages you're really Mm -hmm. just trying your puzzle is what should i care about because everything's in slack yeah yeah it's a good point i think maybe 
I don't know. I'm never optimistic about technology's ability to decide things for you, but I think it's it's kind of what you got what you were talking about earlier with um, with reading and summarization, where the fact that really good readers are still going to read doesn't mean that summarization isn't useful to you, you know. Right. And in the past, you would read Amazon reviews or you would scan the back of a book before you buy it. Now you're, you're doing that same thing. It's just maybe slightly more reliable or more consolidated or in a single place where an AI is telling you like, this book is similar to these other books that you read. It's a little bit different in these ways. You're probably going to be interested in it because, you know, something a little more specific to you. And so that that seems useful. Uh, but at the same time, if the machine tried to just say like, here is the next book you should read, that would create more problems for you because you would want to know why and how did you make that decision and are you yeah. right about that? And even if it gets it right nine times out of 10, all 10, you're going to feel sort of powerless and upset. So yeah. it's kind of like in, in something like Slack, it's more about how can we do the right level of, of summarization and organization to help you and not do something where we're we're trying to make decisions for you or take away your agency over your queue, but even just consolidating all of the messages that have come in in a day into a single queue and then giving you a reasonable way to work through that queue and think about uh, or, or like organize the messages in there. Even just doing that is a fairly tough problem to solve, but makes your, your beginning of your day much easier because yeah. now... To use your brick metaphor, you're not worried about like, are there other bricks I haven't found? Is there a giant brick like under a bush somewhere? Now we've got all the bricks in one place and they're organized by weight. And it's up to you what you want to do with that. But at least you can trust there's one queue and I know I can go through that. So, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Like the the concept of like not sorting, sorting it by like one vector right one but saying there's like we've we've given you different ways to organize and in a sense prioritize and um and so in this queue you this might be your top but in this other queue that focuses it's almost like primers that say you know you know on fridays i care about this and on thursdays i care about this and therefore the queues are like resorted um, and then give you different options of sorting that yeah. does make a lot of sense. Um, because then I'm back to like agency and saying, I, I can decide yeah. how to prioritize my day. I do yeah. wonder though, just to get out there into the world of like laziness, um, GPS, right? Everybody was like, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I want to make my own decisions. On how to, I, I'm not getting rid of my Thomas guide. Like that's my math is as everything to me there's so few people that just know what a thomas guy is right now that are like hey going what oh yeah. yeah i remember that um and then um the the idea that i would trust a gps to take me somewhere right um but i can easily see how in my messaging app like it my job might just become like like an Uber driver, but for work, you know, where it's like, it is going to tell me when to turn right and when to turn left. And yes, I am going to be able to like, 
turn right when it says turn left because that one moment where I'm feeling rebellious and I think I'm smarter than the GPS. And yeah. so I turn right and then it recalculates. Yeah. Thank God. Um, right. And then but also gets you me might like be right. Only five minutes later. Yeah. Then I would have, or I just or you knew that target doesn't exist anymore. Right. And right. the GPS hasn't been updated. Right. Sometimes you're right. True. And it, it is important for you to overcorrect. I still won't use Apple Maps because it burned me three times like 10 years ago. And so yeah. in my head, I'm still like, you sent me, this was a literal use case. I was taking a client when, when we worked together okay. to uh, buy a new hard drive for a computer to do some like 3D imaging uh, for like that shoe rotator app that we built. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, we need to go buy a graphics card for the machine, and Apple Maps tried to take me to a target that was now just an empty field, and so I still <laughs> won't use it. So there, and and still, you find times on Google or Apple where you're like, "Oh, I know that this thing isn't there. I know that there's construction going on here that you haven't caught up to yet." So yeah. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I love this idea that I I could open my Slack app and and I could create a channel learn a new language and be like, or learn Spanish. And that I jump into that channel and it's just me and a, a, and a GPT that just says, okay, we're going to start here with hello. Mm. And, yeah. And that I just go in there and it GPS is my way to like at least basic Spanish for tourists, you know? Yes, and, yes. and that that's, that's part of my conversation, you know, it, it's not all about like someone asking me to do something or my, you know, my queue of things I got to do. Like, oh God, yeah, who, who wants what from me now? Um, yeah, but but yeah, I have these like machine conversations going on where, like, selfishly, the machine's just there for me on my timing. Like, I I don't have to feel like I need to respond quickly. I don't. Yeah. I don't have to worry if I ignore it and don't respond. I don't have to be extra polite. Um, and uh, and yeah, it'll just maybe nudge me along the way though because I did, I did let it know that I I am going to Mexico, you know, in a month, and I I do want to make some progress. Um, yeah. So I I can kind of almost like, I I can see myself, almost, spending half of my time in Slack talking to a machine. Um, we did this thing with IDEO or that we had this conversation with IDEO where, 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 um, they had, uh, created LotBot, which was a, just a, a bot for managing like the parking situation hey. for employees. Like, is there a spot mm -hmm. available? Oh, book me this spot. And they put these cameras that they called gargoyles up, um, that, you know, they were using to kind of identify whether spots were empty or full or whatever. And. The interesting thing that they did was they made each camera, uh, they put a conversational UI on each camera. Um, so instead of like the cameras being like API connected to like a conversational, you know, sort of front end, they put conversational front ends on each camera and then put a conversational front end for the end user. Uh, I think it was SMS so that they could, you know, communicate but there was this idea that 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 front end was talking to the other camera. So it was like, hey, is there a spot available with you? No. How about you? Yeah. Oh, I got a spot. Um, 
And so two machines talking to each other and then the machine relaying the conversation uh, to the person. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a perfect example that, you know, Gargoyle could be in my Slack. Um, and I would just say, hey, any spots available? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm talking to a camera that instead of focusing on, a, on an API that's got JSON, it's just, it's just a conversation. Um, that's happening between machines. And we talk a lot about this with folks that, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that machines will be talking to each other in natural language. And that's like the breakthrough moment of singularity and things like that, because, um, you know, n- now we can be part of the conversation. They can be part of ours. It's like a singularity of machine and human because we all talk the same language. And I've had folks kind of come back and say, oh, it's not, you know, that's not how it should be machines. You know, it's not efficient. Uh, why would machines need to like converse uh, and be burdened with our language? But, you know, my opinion is it's inclusivity. I want to always be able to see what the machines said to each other. So if they're mm-hmm. going to make decisions, right, I want to know, I want to know how that went down and I want to be able to mm-hmm. monitor that. Um, what What are your thoughts around machines talking to other machines in natural language and and how that might work in with messaging oh man that's a really interesting question i'm going to jump in real quick uh because i don't want to let a good pun go to waste uh, okay those talking cameras were called cargoyles cargoyles oh, yes. cargoyles that's a great <laughs> yeah. name yeah. yeah thank you <laughs> yes yeah. of course yeah it's i mean i think about um I, I knew someone one time who was uh, really amped up on 3D. They were like, you know, people live in a 3D world. Everything that you do with information should be in 3D. Wouldn't it be so much better to go, like, instead of doing a, a dumb 2D search in your web browser for an email, you could go to, like, a bookshelf of all of your email and find the one that you wanted and pull it off. And I remember instantly being like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like nobody, nobody wants to go look at a bookshelf of all of their email. I want to just type in like the one word I remember and have you have the machine go search the shelf for me and bring it back, you know? And so I wonder if there are, and yet at the same time, there are lots of places where a 3D representation of information or like a 3d ability to manipulate something is the right interaction and does give you more information so it just makes me wonder if there are like the the idea that it's better for machines to always speak in natural language so that we could look in and see what they're saying i wonder if it's more in certain situations or for certain types of communication maybe it's like when they're making decisions versus when they're just trading information or or something like that. It makes me wonder if it's that sort of thing. Sure. Or like sure. the human analog way of doing it. Like it it really wouldn't be better. And when you try to apply it to everything, you can quickly see yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, search in three D. So it, it's funny. But like, there is a place for it. It's that pattern like now resurrecting itself again in this conversation, which is okay, now I got machines talking to each other and my ability, now which ones should I care about? Like, how should these be sorted, you know? Um, yeah. Now my Christmas tree has, like, more lights on it. Um, yeah, and, and they're in 3D. 
and, and every light can oh talk to God. me. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is definitely overload. Um, yeah, it's it it it's a good point. It's it, is it does it just add to the noise in some yeah. cases? Um, and and I, does like a hybrid uh, language kind of emerge that's maybe mostly, I guess it would likely be English, but also it would have. I wonder if we sort of talked about this uh, yesterday, Rob. I don't think we brought it up with uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett, but in the prep, we were talking a bit about this idea of like, can machines actually come up with new words? Yeah. Uh, like, would a machine have ever come up with the word Riz, which is now in the OED? Yeah. But like, yeah, if if there I are machines teenagers. talking to other machines <laughs> and uh, and they're doing so maybe even across like kind of technology ecosystems, is it possible they will see patterns where a new word would make sense to come about to kind of describe a certain phenomenon or, or, yeah. or you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and, and would they create new languages amongst themselves, right, to create efficiency? Mm -hmm. um, and and I think that to some degree would be true. Um but I, I think it kind of comes down to like, should they talk to each other so that we can understand it? And when should they? It, it, it It's the same problem. Like it, it, to some, to one of us, we may want to know every conversation the gargoyle's having. Uh, to someone else, it's noise. Um, yeah. I think having the option now, it's of course, like whether they talk to each other in natural language or whether we just read the logs and convert that to nat natural language and summarize yeah. the logs of what happened is is a question from a technical standpoint but my thought is the problem with json and all of that is you have all of this like interplay of integration where if two things just talk to each other, like we don't need to to uh, you know when i think of like a slack integration with rj it's just mm -hmm. you know you sending me a message right it's you yeah. finding me Hey there, <laughs> and that's it. We're integrated, right? Um, there's no like JSON object that we had to like understand and discover and test and QA, and we, they're just we're integrated. And what if machines could just so easily just communicate without all of that? And who knows? Maybe maybe we'll get AI to the point where it can, you know, read and understand JSON so well that that we do remove integration as a thing. Um, but I I tend to just feel like it. it's easier to just do it in language because we, we just, hey, I want to send a text message. Great, what phone number? Uh, bup, 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 yeah. bup. That's not a real phone number. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Let me do it again. Here you go. Um, yeah. What do you want to say? Bup, 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 bup. That's too long. Okay, how about this? Great. Off it goes. Yeah. No one did an integration. We just, we just, you know, found a API endpoint that is natural language, or we even texted or called. We had a a demo where we had a um uh we have Ditto who like sits in on our on our calls and and takes notes and things, and um we were able to train it to make outbound phone calls and get things done. Um, like during calls, mm -hmm. so it was essentially like using other IVRs as API endpoints um, mm -hmm. because yeah. if you couldn't get that task done in an API, 
you could now get it done just by having it call an IVR and 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 go through natural language. And it just sort of struck me in that moment that as phone systems become more generative AI driven and and they can talk and do lots of different things uh, in an automated way, why wouldn't we also want our own phones to call those phones? Like why? Yeah, I don't want to talk yeah, yeah. to a robot. I'd rather my robot talk to a robot. And, and right. then that sort of just rolls into like, well, why are you doing it on voice? That's a lot of extra processing. Just why not text yeah. message? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to think about um, natural language replacing the API layer or being an API layer between technologies. I guess it makes me think about two other things. The first one you brought up already, which is the idea that like, I might use AI to write, and then you'll use AI to read. And I've always wondered about the use case. I'm sure that everyone thinks about this, but like, what? why are we even bothering with the inflating and deflating thing? Like, what, right. why am I, I'm putting in a bulleted list, you're reading a bulleted list. What? What's the oh point, my God. right? I was just so thinking I this, like my LLM is like, I, I'm, I'm taking this, I give it a summary and it expands on it. Then you take my expanded, and I'm article. like, I don't want to read all this. I don't want to yeah. read all this, and then you summarize it. So. Yeah, <laughs> right. And if it's really good, it gets really close to your original right. set of bullet points. Yeah, and I think culturally, a lot of that is like we just want to make sure that the author put effort into it. But now we can't yeah. trust that word count like equals effort. Yeah. Yep. And and, right. and like now it's like oh. Does a book have to be 270 pages of garb? Our oh, and for years we read like books it had to like, be. There's a minimum yeah. page count we had to write. Like, why? Yeah. yeah, but most people have been, even though that's what sells books, everybody's been onto that bullshit where it's like, this isn't a book. This is a blog post, and then you just right. tacked on as many use cases as you needed or examples from companies that have big names that you thought would help sell the book. But most people read the intro and the conclusion and they throw the rest away because they know it's a waste of time. You know, yeah. it's like 90% of business books are like this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I think when we, I mean, we, we did a weird thing when we did the book, we actually user tested every chapter. <laughs> we went through user testing. We had like, we, we even used user testing software and we had folks like, yeah, read the chapter, awesome. then give feedback. Um, and then talk out loud as they were reading. They would say, "Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting." And we actually put it on a um, on a timeline to ensure that we had a cadence, almost like a heartbeat of enough interesting things <laughs> that you would like get from yeah, one interesting a... thing to the next one before you like wanted to put the book down. It was yeah. like so super overanalyzed. It definitely someone from UX like sitting there. Trying to user test a book, but um, that is so funny. Superstars emerged, though. I remember there was one guy who was he was delivering like excellent feedback through these massive like vape clouds. There was there were all sorts of interesting characters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's book. so cool. That yeah. reminds me. It reminds of, like, me too. Uh, that oh yeah. Go ahead. Arie. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was just no, going to no, say, please. like in the Legend of Zelda in uh, the first Switch game, it's you can you can start to pick up on it if you play it enough, but. Um, and all of a sudden, I can't remember the name, which is just ridiculous. But first Legend of Zelda game on the Switch is a really peaceful, tranquil, 
like calming game, but the game has been really well designed to make sure that something exciting happens within a distribution of a period of time, right? It's not every 15 seconds so that you don't get too attuned to the pattern, but it's a bit of a randomization within some period of time. And it just reminds me of what you're saying about these like interesting moments, making sure that enough of them are happening within yes. some distribution that people yeah. stay interested, but it still feels complex enough that like, I don't know that every third paragraph is going to try to blow my mind, right. you know? And we have to give them like just enough time to digest too, between yeah. the next like idea that's, they've got to like think about, you know? And it's, yeah. We tried to create, we were talking about it like it was like creating a symphony, you know, you're trying to yeah. not crescendo too often and right. yeah, not yeah. be lulls. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely over overthinking it, but it all came from like, okay, if we're going to write this many pages, we better make it useful. We don't want to yeah. have a bunch of filler text in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's and, good. And so we took longer, of course, to write it. Yeah. But, um, but that was like the we goal. We had this uh, interesting experience with the book too, I think that's pretty germane to what we're talking about in that we we fed it to an LLM and you know, our first instinct was like, wow, everyone check it out. Like this this LLM knows our book. And then people would look at an empty chat window and be like, oh, cool. What like, do I <laughs> ask? Yeah, what do I ask? Yeah. So yeah. it kind of points to this idea of like layers of curation, right? It becomes infinitely more useful if it's, you know, once a day providing like some sort of synapsis of, a, of an idea in the book but then it becomes even more useful again if if it's looking out over our whole team in Slack and sending focused chapters to people, you know, that might have relevance to projects they're working on. And then I suppose yeah. at some point it could realize like, hey, I don't need to be sending these to Rob and Josh. They wrote the book, but they yeah. probably would like to see like some sort of breakdown of like where the content's being distributed if people are looking yeah. at it. So yeah. it kind of becomes this, I guess, symphony of, yeah. of yeah. curation. Yeah. Yep. I. Yep. I, I'm super, I mean, I'm super bullish, of course, on the future of software being conversational. And I, and I think I was somewhat standing alone for a while. Now the whole world seems to be in on this bandwagon, which is great. Um, Cause it but means I, you I right. do, I do really think in the not too near future, you know, it's, messaging platforms like slack they they'll just become our operating system like you won't need anything else you'll just get everything yeah. done right there and it'll just be conversational and and micro uis will play in there um yeah key so we still need uis but they'll be yeah. contextualized in conversation and yep and you won't need any operating system outside of that that will be your operating system yeah. And if you look at, um, I don't know how much time you, you've spent digging into this, maybe you know more about it than I do, but WeChat in China and a lot of the way that like Chinese mobile usage works already follows this trend quite a bit where everything is happening in the context of the WeChat app. And that's how I pay and transfer money to my friends. And that's how I shop. And the app is connecting me to a store, which then serves me bite-sized UIs based on contextual information. And it's it's just, it's already there. It's so far, so far removed from the way that we're still chatting and interacting here that it's it's weird to look at. Yeah, I wonder, I, I wonder if we'll ever solve the interoperability thing, you know, like everybody wants to own and contain their communities and there are good reasons for that. Um, yeah. 
it, you know, there's trust is so key to the success of these platforms. So, you know, interoperability and trust are tough, tough balances to strike. But, um, yeah, WeChat, like everybody uses it. So that's like a big component of its success is the ubiquity. Right. You know, that's uh, yeah, a they huge got bird. critical mass and then took off from there. Yeah. And we're starting from a different place over here. Yeah. We get fragmented systems and um, messaging apps as as trends, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, versus tools, you know. It's, right. It's sort of interesting. But I'm I'm super excited and I think I think it's a great time to be in this space. I think where you guys are and where you are is sort of right in the middle of it. Sort of the future sits sits right in messaging and um, it's kind of exciting and cool. Uh, one other thing that you touched on that I think maybe maybe makes messaging such an interesting place for these things to be is that um, at the end of the day, the meta problem or the reason why you're doing work you, you talked about this as like software plugging the gaps. And that made me think, what what are the gaps in? What What is this right. thing that has gaps? And most of the time, even if it, even if, if you have to look like pretty far out to see it, the thing that has gaps is some sort of transaction between people where it's like, I need to feed my kids. And so yes. there are a hundred different paths I go down in trying to shop for food and cook and whatever. And all of those paths have gaps. But at the end of the day, it's me and my kids and it's a human to human relationship. Right. <clears throat> and maybe that's why messaging is such a natural place right. for a lot of it this. It starts with, Hey dad, I'm hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes to, we'll talk to your mom. And then mom said to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. You need to go get milk or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. What do you want? Blah, blah, blah. And, and and you're right. The actions are just, they're embedded and contextualized in in conversation. When It's rare we have actions that aren't embedded somewhere in a workflow or conversation of sorts. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the, those the gaps other person... are, are, are the, the work. That's <laughs> yeah. where we get the yep. work done. That WeChat thing... Uh, is is really interesting too because it sort of uh, points to something we talk about in the book that I, I feel like we've talked about a lot on the podcast. But like, as if if there is like sort of a dominant messaging app that people are using, and like you said, there it's it's pulling in data from other stores and sources. Like we we've kind of had this philosophical vision and discussion uh, about how like that that starts to obscure all those brands, right? Like if everything's just coming through a conversational interface. Maybe people care less and less about necessarily like the the brands that house these certain skills that they're using. But then I'm starting to think now with this micro UI concept, people need to be able to trust these things and rely on reputation. And that's maybe where brands will remain relevant in that like these micro UIs can be effectively branded in different ways, whether it's graphically or through some sort of yeah. uh, conversational cues. Uh, but that that seems to me now that that's kind of an important piece of it as well, and and how yeah. and it's yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how these brands all fit together in this kind yeah. of emerging puzzle. I think yeah. all of our apps are going to be redesigned um, over the next five years, and I think micro UIs is where people are missing because I think that they they have this 
they feel like conversation has this gap, like, wait, it can't do things like pie charts and line charts. And it, it's, it's low fidelity in terms of low bandwidth communication. Um, but when you, when you pair it up and fuse it with micro UIs, suddenly you realize, oh, that's how. Um, and the reason that they're going to have to be rebuilt is because none of our apps, none of the ones we built over our careers are, are ready to be broken into tiny little pieces and put into a workflow. So we're going to yeah. have to re the designer of tomorrow is going to have to break these big monolith apps into little tiny pieces, micro UIs so that they can be embedded and contextualized in conversations and people are going to have to be able to sequence them, you know, almost like writing macros, uh, through yeah. conversation to get work done, um, and run patterns. Yeah. And, and so I think there's going to be this like huge rush to, to take a traditional UI and break it into these little pieces and embed them yeah. in systems. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of work. I, you know, I can, I can see, totally. I can see a lot of companies going like, oh my God, that's like starting over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about, um, there are a couple of places I know where that's already happening too, where even just any type of uh, media, blog posts or newspapers, New York Times, whatever, had to go change the way that they construct the HTML for their posts, specifically so that Google and Facebook could do a good job of showing you a, a summary or a thumbnail right, right, right. of the, the piece of media. Yep. And then because those exist, Slack picks up on those and uses them to unfurl right. URLs that people post in chat. So that's the only reason why you get a nice unfurl of a New York Times article is because the New York Times made that, I think, for Facebook first. And then yeah. Google also uses them and now Slack uses them. So that's I a really good point. It's like the beginning. Yeah. It's yeah. like the, yeah. the, the embryonic stage of micro UIs is just right. the simple furling. Uh, and how useful is it too, right? Like you just... yeah. So many times in Slack, you just you don't have to leave to to read something. That pogo right. sticking, you know, we take that for granted. It just there it is. Um, yeah, but the time and just the cognitive switching, right? Of like, uh, yeah. open this app, uh, man. Log in. Oh crap! I check my. Oh, it gave me a code. I got to go punch yeah. this code yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. If you share something from Twitter, and I just see the URL. I'm going to be really worried about clicking on it because I know if I click that, there's a good chance I fall down a hole and I don't realize I've <laughs> just lost 45 minutes to clicking through Twitter. Yeah. But if the surface I'm on is our conversation and it unfurls it, then I stay in the conversation and I write back to you about yeah. whatever you just posted and we keep interacting. And yeah. that's that seems better. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. It, some people... It seems like Slack has its its like fans, it, huge fans, and and then it has its detractors. But I'm I'm on the fan side. I, you know, I like the data, and I'm I can see so much opportunity for where it's going to go. And I do anticipate that I'll, that my you know a lot of my life is going to be spent in something like that. Um, yeah. Versus like jumping around different tools to get my work done. Um, and, and I'm excited about it, uh, and I, I, I and and I do think we'll, you know, we'll get our hands around the, the fire hose of data, um, yeah, 
I think that's that's just a moment that we'll we'll get past. Um, but yeah, exciting to have you on. I really appreciate you know we've known each other for a long time, and it's fun to see where you are, and um, great to catch up, and and uh, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, thanks again for joining this ongoing conversation about conversational AI. Be sure to subscribe to Invisible Machines wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also watch these conversations on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. This podcast is produced for UX Magazine in partnership with OneReach.ai. Over the past five years, our team of nearly 200 engineers, scientists, experienced designers, anthropologists, and linguists have been developing Generative Studio X, an award-winning platform that has the lone distinction of being named a leader by every major analyst group. GSX is a complete environment for hosting, creating, analyzing, and scaling your own digital teammates called Intelligent Digital Workers. For an interactive demo of IDWs in action and to learn more about the GSX platform, head to onereach.ai. This podcast would not be possible without the hard work and dedication of executive producer Elias Parker and producer Kate Timchenko. Our video and audio editor is Michael Litvinov, and we rely on support from the marketing team at onereach.ai, including Allison Harshberger, Anastasia Nechtalio, and Vera Prokodko. Thanks again, and we look forward to connecting with you next week right here on Invisible Machines.